the sermon cast from King Road Church. It's our desire that God uses this message to bring you closer to Him. If you'd like to pray with someone, speak with one of our pastors, or if you're looking for more resources, please go to kingroad.ca, scroll down on the homepage, and fill out the Reach Out fillable. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the message. So the last few weeks we spent going through the first chapter of the book of Jonah, and now for the next three weeks, we are going to finish the rest of the book. Uh, So historically, the book of Jonah was written to the nation of Israel sometime in and around their exile to Babylon. It might have been before, it might have been once they returned, It it, it was around that time somewhere. We don't have any more specific details than that, but... If you put yourselves in the shoes of the Israelites at that time, you know what the the state of your nation is in. You have rebelled against God. Your kings have been wicked. And you know that God's judgment is coming or has already come. And so you're asking questions like, how did we get here? Like, God, how did we get to this point of this kind of thing coming upon us where the Babylonians, those wicked pagans, could come and take us over? Where did we go wrong? Maybe even asking, has God given up on us? So for them to hear the story of Jonah when they're in that state, they, they hear how Jonah was ordained by God for a purpose But then Jonah rebelled against God and ran away and tried to do his own thing. And surely they would have seen themselves in that. The nation of Israel had been ordained for a purpose, to be a light to the nations, and yet they failed. But also in hearing the story of Jonah, they would have felt a couple of things, and that would have been conviction and comfort. So convicting because in the person of Jonah, they could surely see themselves that God ordained, God had ordained them for a purpose and they disobeyed him, but also comfort. Because if God in his grace had stayed with Jonah through all that rebellion and through all of that running away, surely God would stay with them. And then in the end, they also see that God is glorified through it all. And this is how God's grace actually works in our lives. First, God's grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, comes to us and brings us conviction for our sin. And then his grace comes to us and comforts us with the gifts of repentance, faith, forgiveness. And then he leads us to praise. So there's a message embedded in the book of Jonah that was for the ancient Israelites, and it is also for us as well, a message that is for those who are suffering and for those who are sinning. And it's stated plainly in today's chapter, chapter 2 of Jonah, and that is this. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Being saved by God is all due to his sovereign plan, his grace, his gift of faith, his son, and his glory. 
So the big idea for today is we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. There's going to be two points. First one, distress leads the faithful to worship. And the second, right worship is rooted in God's grace. So starting the first point, distress leads the faithful to worship. We're just going to walk, walk through this passage verse by verse, starting in actually chapter 1, verse 17, which we looked at last week. But it's important to look at this verse first because uh, in the Hebrew Bible, 17 ver- or chapter 1, verse 17 is actually 2, verse 1, because it's, it, it's the beginning and the end of the chapter. At the beginning, Jonah is swallowed by the fish. At the end, he's vomited out by the fish. So it's meant to be seen altogether as one chapter. So, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Chapter 2, verse 1, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, And he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and all your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. So when Jonah was cast overboard, he surely thought he was dead, sinking down beneath the waves Right, Looking up, he can see that there's now a clear blue sky where there once was clouds and thunder and lightning and wind and darkness. And now he can see this blueness up there and he's like, wow. And he's sinking down. The tempest is over and it's also game over for Jonah. Jonah was going to kick the bucket. He even says this. He says, I was in the belly of Sheol. So Sheol is the Old Testament name for the place of the dead. Separated from the living, separated from God. So sure of his demise was he that he thought God had driven him away from his sight, he says in verse 4. I'm going to continue in verse 5. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped around my head at the root of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. He was a goner. You can see this in the imagery that he uses here. He's talking about being locked down like like the bars of death had closed on him and he can't get out. Like he's in the prison of death. This is the kind of distress that he was feeling as he was under the waves, wondering, am I going to suffocate to death down here? So now put yourself in the place of Jonah. Or sorry, don't put yourself in the place of Jonah. Put yourself in the place not of Jonah, but of exiled Israel, who knew Jonah's story. So you're exiled Israel, you're in a strange land, under a strange foreign power. These wicked pagans are uh, oppressing you. They are making you serve them in ways that you don't want to serve them. They're You read the Psalms and you see them, we're by the rivers of Babylon and our masters are making us sing songs to them, but how can we do that because we're so sad? 
You endured the siege of your city. You've been taken captive, living through all sorts of abuses, possibly even separated from your family. So emotionally, physically, mentally, this is distressing. This is incredibly painful for them. And how do you respond? How do you respond as the Israelites, excuse me, How do you respond as the Israelites to this? When you see Jonah's poem and you see how he responds, this can be an encouragement. If you're going through times of terrible distress, you can look at Jonah's poem here and see his response and be encouraged. Because first, we see three things. We see first, Jonah cries out to the Lord. Looking back at verse one, he prays to the Lord his God. He calls out to the Lord. In his distress, Jonah knows that there's not, <coughs> excuse me, there's not one thing he can do about where he is. It is beyond his power to change his circumstances. He is, like he said, he is locked under this cage of death in the ocean. There's nothing he can do, and so he prays. Remember back on the boat, though, when he was on the boat and all the sailors were praying to their gods and they come to him and they're like, pray to your God, man. Wake up. What are you doing? Pray. Maybe he'll save us. Does Jonah pray there? Not that we know of. We don't see any evidence of that. But now here he is in his worst case of distress, uh, thinking that he's going to die. And he sinks deeper and deeper and he finally gets low enough that he calls out to God. So when we're feeling distressed, we can cry out to the Lord. First, Jonah cries out to the Lord. Second, Jonah acknowledges God's sovereignty through it all. Look at how he refers to the the wind and the waves and the billows. He says, God, they are your waves. They are your billows. Jonah recognizes that God made the winds and the seas. God made the storm. And God had placed him where he is. So he knows that the reason that he's in this situation is due to God's sovereignty over it all. And then the third thing we see, Jonah worships. Look at the part of verse 4 that I hadn't read yet. Verse 4, the last half, says, Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. So a better translation than upon your holy temple is actually, I look towards your holy temple. What had Jonah been doing up to this point? Had he been turned towards the temple? And what does the temple represent? It's the dwelling place of God, right? God dwells within the temple in the Holy of Holies, and Jonah was running away. His face was turned away running down, down, running away, going as far west as he could when he was supposed to be going east. But now he turns his face towards the temple. He had turned back towards God. Instead of looking away from God in rebellion, he was now looking towards God in worship. I think this is a good pattern for us to follow in our own times of distress. 
I've spoken with people who have been, been in terrible depths of de- depression and have come out of those. And they use language similar to Jonah's situation. They say things like, I felt like I was drowning and I couldn't get out of it. I felt like I was trapped in a cage and I couldn't get out of it. I've also heard from people in difficult marriages that say the same thing. It feels like I can't get out. It feels like I'm dying here. Or people who have fallen into the deep pit of their own sins. They also feel this way sometimes. So what should we do in those times? We cry out to God. And in that crying out to him, we acknowledge his sovereignty. And in acknowledging his sovereignty, we worship him. Thank you, sweetheart. We cry out to God. So when you're, when you're feeling those times, right, some of you might, you might be in a good place right now, but you talk to people who have gone through those deep times of depression or those people who have had those marriages that are falling apart, and they say things like, I never thought this would happen to me. So now, as you are in a good place, take the time to prepare yourselves. Dive into God's word pray. Train yourselves for those hard times and then be ready to call out to him in your times of distress, acknowledging his sovereignty and worshiping him. These are real ways to communicate with God in our troubles. Even if we look at the book of Psalms, we find David and other psalm writers calling out to God in their distress. And sometimes it ends on a very depressing note. Look at the end of Psalm 88, verses 13 to 18 says this, but I, O Lord, cry out to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like, like a flood all day long. They close in on me altogether. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. The end. Not something you see in a coffee mug at House of James. Listen, God can handle your cries. God can handle your honesty when you're struggling and you're in a depression and you are deep deep down in a place where it feels like your friends are shunning you and you have no companions but darkness, God is there. He hears you. And he will bring you through it. On this side of the cross, we don't look to the temple, though. We look to Jesus. Jesus is our temple, He is our great high priest. He is the one in whom the perfect sacrifice for our, who is the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And in him also was all the fullness of God pleased to dwell. We look to Jesus. 
But Jesus isn't just God far and distant and holy. He also is our brother and he knows our suffering. Jesus suffered at the hands of sinners. Jesus was betrayed and mocked. Jesus suffered in every way that you have. And yet he was sinless. Whatever pain or distress you may feel in your life, Jesus does know it. So you can look to him and call out to him. So cry out to him, acknowledge his sovereignty, and then worship him. It's on to the second point, right worship is rooted in God's grace. So now we begin to see Jonah's faith at work. Jonah is a prophet of God. Even in his rebellion, he is still a prophet of God. He hasn't lost that title. He is still God's man. And we see it here in his words, God, Jonah 2, verses 6, the second half of verse 6 and verse 7, he says, Yet you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. So again, he's acknowledging God's sovereignty, but what does he say? He says, my God. You are my God. O Lord my God. And God has heard his prayer. Yahweh is the true and living God, and he hears Jonah. Unlike the false idols and the false gods of other nations, like the ones that we saw the, the sailors worshiping, and Jonah says in verse 8 here, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. So put on your ancient Israelite shoes once again, transport your, back, your way back into that age and think about about to be exiled or you are exiled. You have these abusive enemies coming your way. And why are you in that place? Because your nation, your king, maybe even you have worshipped other gods. King Jeroboam II was the king at the time, one of the worst in Israel's history, and he led the people to worship the other gods, the Baals, Asherah, and to act unjustly towards each other. This is, this is the pattern. When you read through First and Second Kings, you see this over and over and over, how they disobeyed God, how God had made a covenant with them back in Exodus and Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and you see that God had covenant blessings for his people. You obey, you keep... You stay in the land, I am your God, and you are my people, and I am with you. But also covenant curses. If you disobey, you're going to be exiled. You're going to be sent out of the land. And they disobeyed, and now they're feeling the weight. So during that time when they were rebelling, did they still go to temple? Yes, they did. Did they still make sacrifices? Yes, they did. But they added to these, all these other religions and rituals as well. They basically, they didn't, they, they brought God down, they brought Yahweh down to the level of all the other gods and just were like, you know what, we're just going to kind of put a smattering of worship out there and see who answers us. And that was against God, that was against the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. There's another prophet during Jonah's day who pointed this out. The prophet Amos, Amos chapter 5, verses 26 and 27, Amos writes this, 
you shall take up Sikketh, your king, and Kion, your star god. These are both names of uh, pagan deities. Your images that you made for yourselves, and I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. So the people were worshiping Yahweh out of religious duty. They were going to temple, they're bringing their sacrifices out of religious duty, not out of love for him. They just lumped God in together with all the other false gods. And therefore, they were forsaking God's covenant love for them. That word that is used in the text here for steadfast love is the Hebrew word hesed, which means God's covenant love. And what is God's covenant love based on? It's based on his grace. Israel never did anything to deserve God's love or to deserve to be chosen by God. Abraham himself, he never did anything. What what does Genesis say when Abraham was chosen by God? Does it say Abraham was this holy man who did everything perfect and God picked him and God answered him and gave him his reward? No, it says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. All he did was believe God's word. And that was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, Abraham put his faith in Yahweh and God declared him righteous. That is all God's grace. I heard it again uh, the other day. Someone who had grown up in the church was talking about how things were going in his life and now how he's struggling. And he talks about Jesus like, you know, I've done all these things. I've I've read my Bible, I've come to church, and I pray, and I do all of these things for God, and I'm, I'm just not, life's just not going the way it should be. What have I done wrong? Why, why is God not giving me what I deserve? Well, maybe he is giving you what you deserve. You aren't going to earn God's love, okay? How, like, is that as plain as I can state it? We cannot earn God's love. We can come to church every week. We can read our Bibles. We can pray. We will not earn God's love. We don't do those things in order to get him to do something for us. That is a backwards way of viewing the gospel, and that is a backwards way of viewing how God works with us. If you trust in Jesus as your Savior... Then you worship him because he has already shown his love for you. If you trust in Jesus as your savior, if your faith is in him and him alone, not in yourself or your works, but your faith is in Jesus, you already have all of God's love and all of God's favor and all of God's grace. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And then we worship him. And we worship him with joy and thankfulness. Look at the last two verses of Jonah chapter 2. Jonah says this, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah up 
out upon the dry land. See, Jonah recognizes God's grace in his life. God and his grace pursued him with the storm. God's grace caused the lot to fall on him. God's grace led the sailors to throw him overboard, and God's grace led to the fish swallowing him. And Jonah worships him for it. His eyes are open to the fact that when God saves, it's all because of God's grace, so he worships him with a thankful heart. See, he sees the the fish, even though it's like his watery grave, he sees the fish as his salvation because under the waves, he knew he was a goner. But the fish comes along, and he knows that the Lord has him. This should lead us to ask the question, when we look at what Jonah does and how, how he runs this way and now how in the, in the depths of his despair and distress, now he worships God, he realizes God's grace, and now he worships him. It should lead us to ask the question, where am I at when I consider my salvation? Where are you and I at? Where are we at when we consider our salvation? Do we look at our salvation and think, yeah, I've contributed to that. Yeah, I've served God and I've taught Sunday school and I've counted money and I've counted money for the church and I've uh, served on the finance committee and I've served on the maintenance committee and I've preached a sermon here and there. I've read scripture up front. I've done all these things. I've served, I brought people meals. Surely, surely these things are adding to my salvation. Is that where you're at? Then you're woefully mistaken. Those things have not added to your salvation. You've contributed as much to your salvation as Jonah has contributed to getting swallowed and vomited out by the fish. What did Jonah contribute? his own sin. And it's the same with us. All we bring into our salvation is our own sin. That is where we're at. But then Jesus comes. And by his Holy Spirit, he softens our heart. And he get, opens our eyes and opens our minds and allows us to hear his word for the first time and go, yes, Lord. I believe. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. It says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, by God's grace alone, he has given us this gift of faith so that we can go forth into the works that he has set forth before us to do. But it's only by his grace, through that faith, that we can do those works. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. When you, from, from when you first heard the gospel to the influences in your life that have discipled you to the moment 
that you first prayed to Jesus until you meet him face to face. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And all we can do is give him glory. I know that's my story. And I was religious. I grew up religious. I grew up going to church and doing all those things and going, yeah, I'm going to do all these things on Sunday and I'm going to go to MEI and I'm going to say the right answers in Bible class, but then outside of that, kind of do whatever I wanted. And then I'd have times of ups and downs, right, where I think like, oh, I've done too much bad stuff, so now I've got to do a lot of good stuff to get myself back up into his grace again, not understanding what grace was at all. But my heart was far from him until one day I heard about his grace. And I don't know what did it. But one day a friend shared his testimony with me and it was like my eyes were opened and my ears were opened and I all of a sudden understood, like, there's nothing I can do to save myself or to even help myself to be saved. It is all of God. And I worshiped him. And it gave me a hunger for his word. It gave me a desire to sing praises to him, to listen to Christian music when I've like never listened to Christian music before that. It gave me a desire to worship him with my life and to tell others about who Jesus is. But it wasn't, it wasn't due to anything that I did. God did it. And if he did it in me, he can do it in you. And he can do it in your loved ones. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So think of your loved ones who are far from the Lord right now. What hope do they have? Are they, are they actually going to wake up one day and just change their mind? They're rebelling against him. They're running away from him. They want nothing to do with him. They deny his existence. They, they live. They look for all the pleasures of the world. And they look for uh, fulfillment through money or power or sex or other relationships of some kind, and they think they're going to find their fulfillment in all of these things, and they, for them to not do that anymore, are they just going to change their mind one day? The only way that they're going to change their mind is if their heart is changed, and the only way that their heart is changed is if the Holy Spirit does it. And that is our greatest hope for those who are lost, is to actually pray that the Lord would do the work not that the person would do the work him or herself, but that God would do it, that God would move on them. And this is how we pray, right? We're like, Lord, open their eyes. Lord, open their hearts, soften their heart. Lord, give them ears to hear. This is the way we pray for them because we know it's all of God. Salvation is of the Lord. Only by God's grace through faith given to them by the Holy Spirit. So let's pray to that end. Amen? Let's pray to that end that the people that we know and love who are far from the Lord would understand his grace that as they are suffering through their own sins or the sins of the world around them, that they would, that they would hear God's word through us or through somebody else and that they would turn and repent and believe. All by God's grace. We pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word and that we can look at a story like Jonah and we can see 
Lord, how he rebels against you. And uh, even in the next chapters, how his heart is still hard in a lot of ways. And yet, Lord, you didn't leave him or forsake him. You pursued him. You showed him your grace. You showered him with your grace. Lord, even though he was rebellious and foolish, you showered him with your love, just like you have with all of us. So, Lord, as we think about ourselves, Lord, we we confess to you that uh, our salvation has nothing to do with us, but has all to do with your goodness and your mercy and your love and your grace. Lord, we thank you for the gift of repentance and the gift of faith. We thank you for working these things in us. And Lord, for those who are listening today, either in this room or through the podcast online, Lord, would you be working on their hearts? Lord, for those who are far from you right now and listening to this, would they know your nearness? Would they feel the conviction of your spirit, Lord? Would you, as they're thinking about their emptiness in their lives, would, would you show them that you have them there so that they see you, so that they turn their face towards you, Jesus. So Lord, we thank you for your grace on us. We pray that you empower us by your spirit to live by faith. In your name, Jesus, amen. Amen.